0: The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Michael Bolick, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for April 9th, 2021. This is your old pal, Justin Robert Young, joining you from Austin, Texas. We got a great show. This whole month, we have whittled down all of the constitutional amendments to one. We reveal the winner of our constitutional amendment Bracket, Brian joins us for the final time in this journey, and we find out that he accidentally struck a very rich vein. Liberal gun owners, hardcore blue, no matter who Democrats, that sometimes are proud and oftentimes are scared to talk about how much they believe in the right to own a gun. Got a lot of emails on this. We're going to talk to Brian about it a little bit later. We also have a more traditional mailbag about all sorts of stuff, including, man, this is awkward. Me, Heaton, and Jen Briney were on this uh, fine program last week. And on that program... We talked about how the United States was foolishly getting themselves into yet another foreign entanglement in Belarus. Well, it's all fun one-liners until some dude from Belarus emails you. We have listeners in Belarus. We're going to get to that in the mailbag. We will also be joined by Josh Rubin. Now, he's somebody that I'm very excited to talk to. Because I've spoken out of school a lot on the idea that media is changing because of the state of modern advertising. And Josh is a great, great expert on this subject, largely because he not only is a veteran of CNN, but is also a veteran of the modern blog world at the Daily Dot. We speak with him later. Speaking of green. Oh, my good God. Again, is one of them like, I'm so tired being right. When the Democrats stripped Marjorie Taylor Greene of all of her appointments, all of her uh, uh, responsibilities in Congress, I said, this is only going to make her a massive star. Congratulations. You just made her a gigantic, massive superstar. So if if you wanted that, then congratulations, you have it. And we know now exactly how big. She announced that in the first quarter of 2021, when all this went down, she raised 32 million dollars without a dime of her own self-funding. That means that it was small, uh, small dollar donations for a safe house seat that wasn't even contested in the last election in 2020. That's how much the Democrats made her a star. She could have just been some lady fighting for airtime Now she has $3.2 million, which does not happen unless you are a gigantic national figure. So there we go. Cause and effect. Let's go ahead and get into the show. But... results are in. We have a champion in our greatest constitutional amendment bracket and I had to celebrate in person with the man who we have been with uh through this entire journey, the co-creator and muse of the greatest constitutional amendment bracket, Brian Brushwood. Welcome.
1: Uh dude I think the real America. Uh, sorry, the real winner was America. Although I was about to say the real America was the yeah. winners. <laughs> you are the real American. <laughs> yeah. Fight for the
0: rights of every man.
1: Oh, I'm so nervous. Um, uh, I'll say this much before you reveal who the winner was, which I'm pretty sure I expect I know. Um, uh, man, oh man, did a lot of people hit us up on Twitter with their favorite MCU characters.
0: We're gonna get to that in a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I want to go through
1: some of the email that I got on that. But here we go. The big reveal. It's really it's really a question of margin. I feel I, I can I guess 62 38. Even
0: more. Really? Over 80% voted for the first amendment yeah, to be the greatest constitutional amendment, they were all there. They have all been whittled down, and the First Amendment stands alone at the top of the pile, uh, trouncing the Second Amendment. Uh, more votes than we got for any other uh, uh, any other vote. So, uh, if if we had. Other folks that uh, were coming in, they, their votes were counted, too. And the First Amendment reigned supreme.
1: The, the, there, is, uh, there was a brief moment in the journey where we talked about, like, uh, I, I don't want to say it, it's our fault, but it is an interesting twist that we never defined what greatest meant. We just said, which is the greatest amendment, right? And great could mean... Foundational, it could mean transformational, it could mean world changing, it could mean most effective, it could mean most most ethical, it could mean most uh, best enforced. You know, uh, 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 I mean, you really can't deny Amendment 1 with a bullet. Or without a bullet, <laughs> it
0: kind of makes America America. Yeah, and 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 that's you know uh, a, a lot of people that were supporting the Second Amendment were saying like, oh well, the Second defends the first, so the Second is more important than the first. But you want to know what? At the end of the day, if you're going to say like, what makes America something that is fundamentally different than even other like Western democracies? We put it in the rule book.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like, like, well, like, and, we, and, we and plus, also, uh, uh, the First Amendment is very, very wide ranging. Everything from uh, you could interpret it specifically for, uh, you know, believe in whatever God you want. Because keep in mind, you know, these people were a lot of them were fleeing England because they weren't worshiping the right God yeah. for England. Uh, the right to assemble the right to speak your mind. I mean, it's just, it's so foundational. There we go. First Amendment wins. What I want
0: to actually talk to you about during this segment, though, is the rich vein
1: oh, that you tapped into. Uh, which, it, it took two episodes to get here, because first I suggested it, and then somebody was like, what does that mean? What do you mean stealth issue for Democrats? And, and I believe it was last episode, I was like, I think a lot of Democrats support gun rights, but won't be caught dead saying so in public. Yes. So, uh, I
0: want to begin with two emails. I've I've taken snippets from a bunch of emails. I will read them all anonymously. Okay. Uh, I do believe not so quietly that some people should be allowed to have guns. I just think that some restrictions should be placed on them. Just restrictions done by people who know guns. It really uh, didn't strike me at any point that I would be ostracized for said belief. I think that the Democrats who want, quote, all guns taken aren't as popular as you may think. And hold your comment as I read the next email. Uh, I now live and I redacted the state that he lives in. And I work for the government where I rarely mention or even hint that I'm pro second amendment. Maybe there's more closeted going gun owning Democrats out there. <laughs> so like for, for the first person who's like, yeah, you know, I don't care. I'm a Democrat. I talk about gun owning. I've got, I got plenty of people that were saying, thank you for mentioning this. Uh, somebody texted me, a friend of ours. I'll tell you after this texted me and said, uh, I I'm, Hardcore I, I, Democrat. I, I, I
1: think that person also texted. me. Did he text me. you too? Yeah. Okay, yeah.
0: But he he used the phrase "I feel seen" and then immediately said, "I hate that phrase," but I feel it so deep to my core that uh, I needed. The to The person type who you. texted
1: me said, um, "I think I'm uh, my uh, something about his girlfriend not being into." You know, very uncomfortable with there being a gun. I was like, well, what's the gun? And then, and then I got a link and I'm like, Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> I was like, I'll buy it. <laughs> I was like, if you're ever going to get rid of it. Yeah, that's cute. I'll give it to one of my kids. <laughs> All right.
0: So this was probably the, the most representative. I've sent you a few messages since I've been listening to your show, uh, uh, I've never voted for a Republican in a presidential race. The only time I voted for Republican was when I was living in a state with a terrible centrist dem leadership and a fairly decent moderate Republican. I also own a dozen guns. (laughs) I believe that gun ownership is a right and has nothing to do with hunting. I believe that many anti-gun folk misread the amendment intentionally and then goes into him defending the second amendment. But like that, that was pretty much the, the, the biggest thing was that you are dead right. There is a segment of liberal voting america that is just like no 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 not just for hunting i do for genuinely believe urban that-
1: defense yeah like yeah. like and and think about it man uh if you're a member uh so uh let's play a game where i make a stereotype of a a a, a democratic voter and then you instantly say yeah i can picture them with a gun uh union boss yeah. Um, that's as far as I got. There we uh, go. Uh, oh, a uh, 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 sporting gentleman in New England. Uh, anybody in New Hampshire. <laughs> uh, um, most of, actually, uh, ooh, anybody who owns a farm in California. Sure. Like, I mean, all of these. Uh, here,
0: yeah. this, this is actually perfect. Uh, the uh, Another email said, America is gigantic and uh, very aggrated it would be arrogant and condescending for my suburban self to tell rural or urban citizens that they should just call nine one one and wait 10 to 30 minutes for defense. Just because I'm down the street from a police station in a safe, quiet city doesn't mean that everyone is. So that was another element of it where it's just like, like, Hey, exactly what you said. Like there are different, it's a, it's a big ass country. And sometimes you feel more safe with stopping power.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, Also, a good reminder that there are threats that are not humans. Uh, If I lived someplace where a moose is going to be, you know, frolicking around a toddler, uh, then no, no. That moose is going to go away. That Uh, bear is going to go away. Into God's arms. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, This is something that I also got a lot. A lot
0: of uh, uh, Democratic gun owners... Also had very specific thoughts about gun laws, and not like they shouldn't not, exist. Not, not
1: just like a, all guns should be banned, but 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 nuanced. But stuff. yes, they were yeah. like, no,
0: gun laws do need to exist, and and this was representative of that. The compromise I always propose to my friends is why not a driver's license model. Uh, have required training, pass a test, maybe require insurance to cover a situation if you harm somebody. Uh, I don't think that that's sacrificing a lot of
1: freedom in order to have peace of mind. For a first day gun owner, won't shoot you because they don't know the basics of gun safety, and that I'm, was
0: another thing.
1: I'm actually okay with that, and and that's probably not the most popular thing for this this hardcore libertarian, possible anarcho capitalist to say is uh to be pro license for anything, but um maybe a version where it's like um. You actually get a a a break on your homeowner's insurance if you have a gun, but you have to complete a gun safety course and get it approved or whatever yeah because that, that, that's the way it is with like boating uh, boating safety courses and all that stuff yeah. like it, it is astonishing that we have this thing that is you know you know kills kids and all the terrible things that come with guns, and there's just you know just well here you go, bye. And that I think it's what what I gathered from some of the email is that there is a
0: tremendous frustration from this segment specifically. That's like, well, yeah, because we have this polarized conversation where it's like no guns or all guns. And there's like not really a whole lot of articulated middle ground of like, well, let's talk about like, you know, because even even the, the mainstream Democratic talking points are like, we want common sense gun laws. And then it's like, you know, nobody takes that at face value on on either side. Right? Right. Like, 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 you can't even agree with that.
1: Well, and, uh, uh, and, and
0: and Republicans can't even dare to suggest the idea of of common sense gun laws or any or just any like, hey, could we think of a gun law? Five people in a room, and we live in a town of five people. Could we think of a law that would be good for us five?
1: Or or even before we go to law. Uh, Speaking of common sense, Dan Carlin had a bit where he was talking about how um, how the NRA had such an opportunity to take the high ground on every shooting ever. And uh, by by basically saying, yo, what's up, America? This really messed up. Uh, uh, As you know, this is not the way guns should be used. We're all about proper use of guns. Guns should be used in this situation. Never, ever in the situation you just saw. Um, we have a course that we just put up where we're going to explain in detail the way guns should be used and not be used. That's us, the NRA, peace out. Yeah. Uh, instead, what we get is like, <laughs> there's a massive mass murder and they just jump out frothing at the mouth saying, don't take our guns. Because, it's like, because, it's like yeah, because what are you-, you doing? You're just seeding the high
0: ground. Well, because they became... You know, a, a, a high, uh, uh, grossing um, uh, uh, money like organization, like like they, they they were like PETA, like, like the most controversial they, stuff they, they is what
1: tapped into the fear yeah. of their consti- uh, constituency. They realized that's what that's what yeah. uh, how money came in. Uh, all right, uh,
0: check out these subreddits: r slash liberal gun owners and r slash two a liberals. Apparently, on oh. on Reddit. Uh,
1: this email, I remember the, the subject line was, we are real and we are legion. Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. I mean, uh, again, like, like, like when I say stealth, I don't mean impotent. I don't mean quiet. I don't mean ineffective. What I mean is stealth. <laughs> like, I mean, you're there. Yeah. This one was, uh, uh, I am I am one of them, and there are several
0: in my family. I stand with should Closed loopholes and regulations, all okay. But yes, I stand by my right to own, maybe because I'm married to a cop. My dad was a cop, and I live in a small town of around 2,000 people, very rural in a red area of the state. And here was the final email. The overreaching uh, government part is where uh, things get complicated, especially in 2021. Your AR-15 shotguns don't mean much against tactical armed forces or worse, drones with missiles on them. I am possibly pessimistically of the opinion that the second amendment isn't what's keeping the government out of our homes. It's the fact that our military is made up of citizens who are proud of America and American mythology. And at the end of the day, they wouldn't overtake our cities. This
1: was something that I I got a lot. I actually do believe that uh, wholeheartedly and exactly as stated where it's not we, uh, I think, I think a lot of people who are gun owners or comfortable with the idea of people owning guns, uh, we uh, i'll say we loosely um say that 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 um that's why ne- america will never be invaded that's why we you know uh, uh, you know we're, we are as a citizenry a loaded gun ready to you know respond if somebody you know jumps into tyranny um but truthfully i think that at the core of it our real safety is that at, at in their hearts most people are good people
0: yeah and there we go. Hopefully, we are good people enough that at some point, we can have actual conversations about this that acknowledge the fact that Democrats are gun owners, and 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 there is at least common ground to speak about this from a from a, a point of view that isn't just pencil neck liberals screaming that all guns should dissolve into the air.
1: I mean, I think I think those are the voices we hear, not because they're plentiful, but just because they're shrill. Yes, and I and I I, I think that that's what. I'm feeling from, from those emails. Brian, we got to the end of it. We both still have careers. <laughs> yeah, dude, there, there was a hot moment that I was a little bit worried about that. <laughs> in
0: <Yeah>. fact, in <laughs> fact, we, we, we discovered a, a subsection, a niche of political society that was, uh, uh, uh,
1: there waiting to be spoken to. Um, we also learned that sometimes, uh, Brian, will say something on a, podcast with justin and forget he said it and then be like really confused when people are sending him mcu characters <laughs> <laughs> but but i'm really glad for the whole journey i mean i'm glad we emerged uh relatively unscathed um uh, i was i was bummed i was a little bit bummed maybe, maybe we should i don't know have a lower bracket uh, or 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 a a different bracket that takes out those those top seeds and and just see what happens because I was really surprised that right out of the gate uh, people of color crushed women, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say. Uh, yeah, I mean.
0: Part of the reason why that happened is because I didn't reseed things because I didn't want to get into that. Like, like yeah, no, you know, I,
1: I I look forward to remixing it up and seeing how it looks. If, know, if I were to reseed them
0: for what I would predict would be the biggest, you know, uh, uh, ones, then I would have spread that out. I would have given some patsy uh, uh, amendment to the ones that people really, really felt. Uh,
1: Search and seizure.
0: You know, uh, uh, important about, but
1: oh, 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 oh! I, I, I do remember now. I don't want that heat. The conversation. I, I, I had said that when I think of rights, I tend to think of foundational human rights. Like uh, you have the right to believe in whatever god you want. Yeah. You have a right to speak your mind. You have a right to protect your family. You do not have a right to fall down, break your leg and demand that the village pay for your healing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 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 if you could find it, uh, one, uh, uh, one of the, the politics fans, uh, gave a really reasoned argument that I thought was, was really, really good. And I, I won't try to summarize it right now outside of say that, uh, that was probably my favorite part of this whole experience was getting, um, really thoughtful responses from everyone. Well, I'm glad. Folks, you guys survived,
0: too. The community survived. We all kept together. We all learned a lot about amendments, and we all allowed me to not think about doing a segment on Fridays for an entire month.
1: You're welcome. Brian, thank you so much. That's that's the 33rd Amendment is my right to show up on your podcast.
2: They ask me, Did I go deep in my bag? And I tell them, I showed sure you.
0: You can always email the show, The Young American at gmail.com. That is The Young American at gmail.com. Got a lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of emails, and, and I'm, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna blast through them here. But they're really, really good. Ronald writes with the press coverage of Ron DeSantis in the Georgia election. Bill, it seems clear that the mainstream press has ripped off any remaining vestige of objectivity and simply become a partisan tool. Even more than before, once a threat to uh, Democrats has been identified, stories, narratives are made up from whole cloth in order to take down the threat. Conservatives are no stranger to this what with Fox and the latest upstarts happily doing the same. But that used to be a fringe element checked by, quote, responsible press, unquote, and, quote, fact checkers, unquote. Now that everyone is playing a purely partisan press game, what does that mean for future elections and the future of the press? Ronald, I'm going to like DeSantis in that clip, disabuse you of this narrative. I don't believe that there was ever a a, a quote-unquote responsible press. A lot of that is, is, is nostalgia. Now, there have been more responsible actors. There have been people for whom their brand has become more objective. There have been times where people are more willing to challenge certain things. But... That's for me a, a a matter of how well you practice the craft and what your what your profit motivation is. And and hopefully we talk about this with Josh, but like right now the profit motivation is dire. Everybody needs something to cling on to. And that means that very partisan content winds up getting more eyeballs, ears blog clicks and so that's where you're going to go now does that mean that some people can zag like let's say you wanted to build an entire brand based on calling balls and strikes and you had a a a saying that you know you didn't want to be one of the uh, pep rallies you wanted to be the scoreboard let's say you did it in a fun and interesting way that people were able to to glom onto, so they didn't think that this was just rank both ciderism or uh, boring and dry. Now that, that would be an interesting way to go. As far as the state of journalism, you're always going to have questions of bias, largely because political journalism winds up taking the form of the thing that it's covering, and politics is a battlefield. Politics is a competition. So you're going to, the, the stories that are going to come out uh, inherently are going to have some of those narratives onto it. But I don't think that there was ever a, a great time. I think that a lot of that is just us identifying the failings of our modern system and saying, well, you know, back in the good old days, that would have been different. Daniel writes, Justin, I never thought to ask you about this until I learned that you were leaving California. I'm not directly accusing you of contributing to the purpling of Texas. You do such a good job of leaving your personal politics out of the show that I honestly don't know how you'd vote on most issues. With that disclaimer out of the way, what's your opinion on the shifting demographics caused by bad governance rather than voting different uh, people into office? Do you think any worthwhile percentage of lifelong Democrat voters leaving the bluest states even recognize that it's the policies they support – that created the living situation that's driving them away. Without trying to seem overtly red-pilled, it sure seems like a self-inflicted wound that's only going to repeat itself. I think that this is an oversimplification of the of, of, of narrative, mostly because people leave for a billion different reasons. And yes, you can say that there are governmental reasons why people are leaving California. I will say that. As somebody who just left California. But the people who are leaving. You know, are are oftentimes presumed to be the same people who supported some of those policies. California is the most populous state in the union. And it has a staggering amount of Republicans, even if they are not the majority. In fact, I believe the largest amount of Republican votes that came in for donald trump in 2020 was from the state of california now he got blown out but by the raw numbers the most amount of republicans in a state that voted for donald trump was in california and that makes sense because it is the most populous state that being said all politics are local Everybody will, will adjust their worldview to find the, the, the thing that benefits them the most. And they will make trade-offs in their life to get there. Do I think that people moving from California is contributing to the purpling of Texas? Yeah. But I'd also say that the Republican Party of Texas is probably more to blame for that. If they are losing voters, then that is their fault. If they are failing to gain traction with some voters, then that is their fault. I never want to blame the populace for the failings of political parties. It's, quite frankly, their job to figure this out. So, that's my take on that. Anyway, I'm going to... Make up some barbecue flavored kombucha just so I don't stick out with my new Texan neighbors. They'll never know. Daniel writes, Justin, uh, sorry, no, Daniel was the last one. Scale writes, see, here's the thing about the vaccines. Why? Why should I take it? Let's examine the reasons. Reason one if I don't take it, I get the virus, I'll die. Yeah, nah, my age range and level of fitness. The woo flu has about as much chance of killing me as the seasonal flu. Reason two. If I don't take it, we won't get to herd immunity. Yeah, nah, the media spent 12 months telling me that herd immunity was BS. Remember, they did this because they wanted to lock down rather than take the Swedish approach of quarantining the elderly and infirm and sending everybody else back out to get herd immunity. Reason three. If we don't take it, we can't get back to normal. Yeah, now nah, the CDC has been telling us that we need to stay locked down even when everyone is vaccinated. Between the media, the CDC, and just general common sense, I have zero reason to get this vaccine. Scale... Uh, I mean, I guess if if you want to fight with a message board about this vaccine decision, then then you certainly have a hell of a message board post. It it seems that you have a fair I mean, I know because I've I've emailed with you, you have a very healthy skepticism of the media. So I don't know why you're factoring in the, the, the media into your own personal vaccine decision. Like. I don't know if we want to fight about this on 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 political grounds. I don't even know where to even start. Here's here's what I know. Vaccines have historically been the greatest gift that humanity has given to itself in terms of conquering disease. And I very much believe that Mother Nature is here to kill us. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rant. But I am not a subscriber to the Mother Gaia mythology, this idea that we are trashing the beautiful goddess of Earth and and, and that that it is only in harmony with our, our, our mother goddess that we will be able to live in unity with the planet. No, I believe that Mother Nature is Kathy Bates from Misery. And if we don't do everything we possibly can to escape this active murder attempt and subjugate our captor, then we too will fall prey to the same level of of, of, of murder and genocide that Mother Nature has perpetrated across the entire history of this planet. And that includes illness. So when humanity is fighting back against the tyranny of mother nature. We need to understand that virus inoculation or vaccine inoculation of a virus is a tremendous gift, a gift we have given to ourselves. The only gift that we get in this world is the gifts that we give to ourselves. It's been true about smallpox. It's been true about other stuff. It's going to, it is true now. And that's why I was happy to get the vaccine. It's a little bit more elemental than fighting about what somebody said on the TV, but that's my take on it. Vadim! Vadim writes, it happens to be that I live in Belarus. Yes, you have a fan here. I was born in Minsk, left when I was 20, and I've spent 17 years in the US of A for a number of reasons. I've been back in Belarus for almost three years now. I'm 42 years old, and for a brief moment, I've seen my homeland being very post-Soviet, that is, free and broke. For the rest of my life, I've seen it dirt poor and under the rule of a violent populist demagogue dictator. That's 26 years now. Many things happened during these times. Prominent free-thinking leaders have been quote-unquote disappeared. Constitution was rewritten. KGB-led, yes, we still have that, terrorist acts have happened to distract the public, and so on. The short story is that we had elections last year, fraudulent like so many times before. Our dear leader, Lukashenko, won in a landslide. So people protested and they protested like never before. In return, we got more violence and repressions. Every day something bad happens and it's too dark to go into details. Now, about those Biden sanctions. This is what Andrew briefly spoke about in the show. This is all about hitting the dictator in the wallet. And about that regime change, yes, please. We need all the help we can get. Overall, the discussions on the show had an, oh, government, here you go again with your regime change habits, which you all have the right to have, but I just wanted to provide a different perspective. Vadim, thank you for emailing. Oh, man, it it, it is it is definitely... A, a A realistic and interesting point of view whenever you are getting into anti-interventionalist uh lines of thinking for which I have become more and more sympathetic to as I get older to then remind yourself that on the other end, if America is the world police, it's because some people want to dial nine one one. It's because some things are screwed up and nobody else is going to do anything about it. And so I very much appreciate you writing in and putting the human face on this, whether or not people agree with the idea that we should be uh, interacting with other, you know, governments duly elected or otherwise. It is important to put a human face on it. Max writes, first time caller writing in response to the political triads talk on China. I believe that Heaton did point out how China is predatory in getting countries into their debt and or owning the country's ports and infrastructure. Editorially, I'm going to add, I think that was Jen. But for the group, I was getting a feeling of why should we care and let China do China? And as the member of the U.S. military, I'd personally like to be involved in less places. But China is building islands. And they're allowing them to harm their neighbors and all shipping across the area because they are claiming territorial waters 12 miles and the economic exclusion zone 200 miles coming off the coasts of these new islands. Imagine the U.S. doing something similar, building islands from Florida to Puerto Rico and then Puerto Rico to Panama and back up to Panama north towards Baja California and San Diego. And some islands off Texas, because, you know, this thing should be called the Gulf of Texas anyway. All the countries that rely on trade now have to argue that they don't have to pay our taxes and tariffs. Some of them have their own border disputes. As the new owner of a home, imagine the neighbor saying that your fence is six inches on their property. You can work it out, but then you, uh, you're across the street. Neighbor adds a fence post at the end of it and says, I don't know why you're fighting. The fence is mine anyway. Then once you sort that out, you get on your boat to Africa, the same people who tax and tariff you on your own waters and running the ports and trains to help ship your products to and through Africa. I will say for my money, I might be, I haven't haven't had a a long conversation with Heaton about this, but I would suspect that of the three of us, I'm the biggest China hawk. I have very 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 little good to say uh or 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 uh, credit to extend benefit of the doubt to the Chinese Communist Party. I genuinely think that there's probably a greater likelihood that by the time that I am dead that we are looking back at this time and saying, "Oh wow, yeah, this was truly bad. This was a truly bad time." I I like keeping heat on China and and uh you know, whether or not it came through during the political triad stuff. Uh, trust me i'm on I'm on I'm on the China Hawk tip. Josh, right. still listening to your triad episode, but I wanted to stop and mention some issues when I heard about the Atlanta killer. I was glad to hear you specifically bring up that the anti-Asian element wasn't just made up and that the killer specifically didn't go after black or white sex workers. However, you then dismissed a lot of the calls of it being racist as red versus blue. And while people are using it as a jumping off point to talk about a wider issue of increasing anti-Asian hate, most people I've heard are focused on the long-standing anti-Asian and specifically misogynistic anti-Asian hate.
2: Uh,
0: I I think I touched on this on the triad episode, but I don't know why these things need to be about one thing. I don't know why we need to rush to find and cement a, a headline on it. I do think that this story uh, in, in Atlanta did have racial elements to it. Again, like I said before, he he either by what he was attracted to or what he thought was the softest target, attacked these massage parlors and... Not a hooker and not a stripper, of which you would be able to find, prominently, plenty of black and white examples. But that being said, I think that, like, if we are insistent on finding the most relevant narrative for us to discuss, I don't think it was the most relevant. I do think that there is a larger problem with where our, our largest narrative on the anti-Asian hate stuff is mostly because I think the active problem, which is certainly what is getting this news attention is an economic issue. I mean, it has the underpinnings of everything that you just uh, mentioned here, Josh, but you're looking at again, like I think both, if there is a connection it's that both that atlanta killer and the people that are beating up old you know uh, asian grandmas and grandpas and and business owners look at them as soft targets and that's that comes with a whole gigantic box of stuff that we can open up that that, that we can say okay well why do people assume that both for mechanical reasons and for spiritual reasons for for racial reasons for how people presume different races to be. Like that is a gigantic can of worms that we can open. And I I hope that we do have these conversations, but to defend our conversation on the triad episode, I do think that those conversations are harmed when they come with the political context. And now you're only going to be able to talk to people so much about it. GX brings us on home by talking about the Third Amendment, which we've already understood is no longer part of this com- competition. It was eliminated. I've been waiting for somebody who's the subject of an FBI investigation and discovers a keylogger or other spyware installed on their computer to fight their charges on Third Amendment grounds. That installing software to watch everything they do is the modern day equivalent to quartering soldiers in your home gx thank you for putting that out into the world there's gotta be a civil rights lawyer that is listening to this or if you know a civil rights lawyer who is listening might listen to this please get this to them because i need to see whether this is legally feasible and if you are a lawyer, a lawyer you can email us the young American at gmail.com. Politics, politics. Now, this is something that I've uh, become really, 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 really proud of. I very much. Love what has become of the Free Political Newsletter. I mentioned this on uh, uh, the episode last week, but I wanted to take a little bit more time, not last week, uh, uh, Wednesday show, but I wanted to take a little bit more time to discuss it here, and, and that is... If you've ever signed up for our newsletter before, the, the Free Political Newsletter, what you got was five days a week of kind of a news digest. Maybe one or two lines of opinion or analysis. What's happened now is is partially out of uh, necessity because of the move, but also because I really wanted to kind of build up my writer muscle again. Something that, you know, was, was a little bit longer than tweet. And so each Sunday I'm writing like, what would essentially be three or four blog posts and and some of them are long and and they I, I challenge myself to kind of think ahead of the curve and not just sort of write a, a political opinion that that you might see somebody uh, some somewhere else like I, I very much want to have fresh good interesting takes in the way that we have here but in in, in writing because that you know is really in, in so many ways my first love. I would love it if you guys signed up. It's free political newsletter at free Go there right now, sign up on Substack stack uh, for free. If you'd like to contribute to it, if you really like it, then you can uh, uh, get on that. But I do the, the main newsletter on Sundays. And then I do a collection of feedback that I've gotten from you guys on Wednesdays. It's, it's been a joy and, if the feedback is to be believed, then you guys are digging it too. Uh, I want it to be something that you guys can share with your friends because a newsletter is a lot more shareable than a podcast is. Nobody wants to wade through stuff. So go ahead and check it out. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com It is free. It is political. It is a newsletter. have repeatedly said on this podcast that media is in trouble because of systemic changes that go beyond our traditional conversations about bias and politics. Specifically this, the display ad market, the way that everything you have ever read, heard or seen in your lifetime has been funded is in free fall and nobody knows where the floor is, or how everything will fund themselves without this golden goose that kept them alive for so long. And that's why I wanted to bring in somebody who knows this world inside and out, a veteran of CNN and then the blog world with The Daily Dot. Josh Rubin joins the show. Welcome to the show, Josh.
2: Hey, glad to be here. We're actually right. glad that you're here. I'm very
0: glad. Yeah, this is, uh, for, for, for the history books, this is the first time that I have done an interview here in my new office slash studio. So, uh, uh, Palace. I'm, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, I wanted to have you on because we've, we've known each other for a while, and you were at a point, when, when we first worked together at BitTorrent, how far were you out of CNN? It feels like you were fairly recently out of CNN and with the Daily Dot, right?
2: Yeah, so that was 2016 election. Yeah. So I left CNN in 2014, so I was about two years out of CNN at that point. And what'd you do at CNN? At CNN, I was a political producer. So I CNN used to have something called the CNN Express Bus. It was a mobile bureau that traveled around the country Covering elections, uh, some natural disasters and and you know human tragedy as well, but it was it was built for elections. So I was the producer in charge of that and I spent about seven years uh, rolling around the country doing stories all over the place.
0: So that way you would be able to just roll into Iowa, roll into... Exactly. Uh, you know, go cover everything from your mobile unit.
2: Yeah, no, we, you know, during the Iowa caucuses and the primaries, I lived in Des Moines for two months and then moved to yeah. New Hampshire and then South Carolina and then, you know, jumped from state to state to state. And then we'd also do kind of cross-country trips. I did one where we did a debate in Myrtle Beach and then we had another debate uh, seven days later in California. So we road tripped with Ali Velshi from one place to the other and just did television all along the way. You know, you drop the bus off, we have a satellite dish, we start interviewing people, talking about the issues of the day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you were just trying to get get every piece of the buffalo there, and and pretty much maximize the fact that you had to justify having a bus on the road for, with 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 a crew. I mean, for, it was
2: a rolling billboard, but it was a very effective uh, broadcasting studio too. Because I mean, we like all of the debates uh, yeah. during that election cycle were run from the bus. The YouTube debates, the presidential debates, convention coverage, all Who's of it. Ran staying through. on the
0: bus is anybody staying on the bus? You mean sleeping
2: on the bus? Yeah. It, it was me every once in a while, but only if the hotel was particularly damp. Gotcha. Um, at or haunted in one particular case. <laughs> where? Where was it haunted? Uh, Goliad down in uh, in Texas. There's the Presidio, which is the lesser known Alamo where Santa Ana massacred a bunch of Texans. Okay. And it's uh, it's still an operating mission slash. You can sleep there. And so there was. We were running with a crew about six of us, and they only had enough beds for five of us. So I slept in the in the bus that night, which proceeded to freak out at two o'clock in the morning. Um, just to make life interesting. Gotcha, gotcha.
0: And how many years were you
2: doing this? Uh, seven years on the bus.
0: Seven
2: years yeah. on the bus. I was at I was CNN for ten years total. Uh,
0: uh, and and so which which elections is that that runs into basically the the Obama
2: Obama so yeah so not
0: not oh eight but no I did 08. so you did 08. Yeah, no I oh, st- wow. it was it was
2: built for the 08 elections so Wow that's I started with uh, the big Obama election like he came on the bus in the Iowa caucuses before. He locked it up. It was the we, big, yeah. I had Obama, McCain. I drove Biden to the airport in Iowa. Really? Once, yeah. We did an interview with him and Candy Crowley where we just drove him and his daughter to the airport while we interviewed him. Uh, and we then did the uh, the next one with him against Romney. And uh, that was the last presidential that I did. We did a bunch of midterms, obviously. Got gotcha. you. And in the in-between times, it was really you know covering the recession, uh, covering the Gulf oil spill, things of that nature. I
0: guess yeah. Once once you've got a an effective mobile bus on the road, then it, it's 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 kind of impossible to not be like, oh well, they're in they're, they're a state away. Yeah, direct the bus toward this massive story, yeah. so we can just have good talent and good reliable uh, connection I mean, to get stuff done. No, right? it was
2: all, I mean it was as much a PR move as it was a production move because. You know, this is like the bus was gone before the Trump era, which is a good thing because the bus would have been burned to the ground during the Trump (laughs) era. I mean, I took Acosta out enough before he was he he popped Uh, and we occasionally would run into trouble. Like I was once surrounded by several thousand Tea Party people uh, yelling at uh, me that they were going to flip the bus. But by and large, all of the interactions with people, because we're in the middle of the country. We're, we're not in major cities most of the time. Yeah. We're pretty positive. They might come up to us and say, you know, now nah, I'm, I'm a Fox News watcher, to which I could always respond, mm, where are they? Sure. You know, we're here.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, that's... that's The, the politics of, of, of cable news is, is its, own, yeah. its own thing. But, there's, but there's a reason I got out. So let's get into that, because what I really want to talk about because I think you have a, a, a tremendously unique perspective on this is the kind of business of media, the mm-hmm. business of news. You knew out there on that bus that this is costing X amount of money to be out there. We need to do you know, a certain level of, of, of amount of stuff to justify that for people, you know, back in, in, uh, at headquarters, like, uh, and and then you went from there to, a whole nother beast, but certainly something that is is fascinating to me, and that's the blog world with the Daily Dot. So let's start here. How would you compare the financial models of CNN and, and, and the Daily Dot just broadly for people who don't understand any part of media budget?
2: Well, it's established versus emergent uh, is the best way to kind of look at that. When you're looking at the cable news model, it's basically built on two revenue streams, uh, carriage From Cable providers and by carriage, I mean if you are a cable subscriber and you pay a hundred bucks a month for your cable bill uh, You are paying two bucks a month or a dollar a month or 50 cents a month for individual channels that are negotiated between usually, you know, warner media viacom whoever and the comcasts uh, and Cox of the world spectrums, right? Yeah around 50 plus or more percent of uh, cable news Revenue come from those carriage fees. It's why streaming is not good for cable news in general because most streaming providers don't provide the level of carriage pay uh, that uh, traditional cable did.
0: And and what, what a lot of people, I think, don't realize is that those carriage fees, like the reason why ESPN, you'll always, especially when people used to bitch about cable, now they don't bitch about cable as much as we have a million streaming services that cost as much as cable. But like you used, the bitch used to be, well, I don't even watch sports. Why am I paying X amount of money for ESPN because ESPN was always the largest amount. But the reason it was is because ESPN invented the concept of carriage fees. So it's like it's the oldest channels that are getting the highest fees because you're always negotiating like "Ah, 10 percent more, 10 percent more, 10 percent more. CNN was fairly early to the game. Right. And and, and so they were going to get a healthy, a healthy cut of that. And and now that's declining.
2: And they bundle. And, you know, you know, you would not have ESPN, the Ocho. Without bundling. You would not have yep. uh, HLN on CNN without the bundling because th- think about the number of cable channels that you never watch. Those will never get picked up a la carte unless they were bundled together with the more popular channels. Yeah. So there's a lot of content. That and, is and paid so That means
0: if you want to take CNN, you got to take HLN, you got to take CNN SI, you got to take yep. every other uh, idea that they've that they've had. Did that go? Was that just CNN? Or was that just all Turner? Like it was just TNT, Cartoon Network, like everything.
2: no, yeah, no, it's all Turner. They yeah. uh, now Warner Media. They they bundle it all together. When that's they push crazy. It out.
0: So that was like so. Well, and, and
2: you're right with ESPN basically inventing the model, which yeah. you know people don't realize it's you know they, they invent this channel and they don't you know ESPN started out really as ESPN three. I mean they weren't yes. carrying the big stuff,
0: but it was like I, 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 there's a great book. Uh, uh, I forget the name of it now. I think it's, these guys have all the fun. But they talk about how the first big success on ESPN was the America's Cup. Mm-hmm. Like, So it's like it was sailing. Sailing put ESPN on the map. And then once they figured out the carriage stuff because they got college football and they were like, uh, uh, the, the cable companies were like, cool, it's going to cost you this much to run on our platform. And ESPN was like, but what if you paid us? Yeah. And they were like, no. And then they're like, okay, Let's go to your college football because these are the markets that we know are going to be real pissed off if they can't see the game because you're too stingy to pay for it, cable company. And boom, that entire model is born.
2: Yeah, and it's been a brilliant model and it's made a lot of people a lot of money and it's brought us a lot of good content over the years. It's, you know, and and the way the other the, the other half of that model is it's the inventory. Why does the cable company pay carriage fees to the brand. Well, half of the commercials that run on that channel are sold by the cable company. Yeah. So all of the commercials that you're seeing are split into two ways, national buys, which are run by the channel, and the local or regional buys that are run by the cable companies. So the cable companies are making their money both from subscriber fees and from the ad inventory that they can turn around and sell. Yeah. Streaming hasn't quite solved that issue yet, which is why if you have YouTube TV, you have all of this blank space. Often when you're running, it's because yeah. they're they're either uh, not allowed to sell that inventory or simply haven't spun it up quite enough yet. And then other companies are moving into the field like Premion, which are doing addressable advertising and and OTT advertising into those those feeds. It's it's a huge giant thing. But the other side of CNN's revenue comes from advertising, yeah, and that's both running commercials as well as larger sponsorships. And when the bus was first going out there, you know, they package up all political coverage. And the bus actually had a sticker on the back because the first time the bus went out, it was sponsored by Clean Coal Technology. Really? That is right. We had we had two: is Northrop Grumman and Clean Coal. Wow! So, so we, these we,
0: were these were lobbying like these are lobbying interests.
2: Yes, they jo- We joked about the bus. When, you know, we were shoveling coal in the back of it. And yeah, it's powering and, us.
0: And, and Northrop Grumman. For those who are not aware, that is that is the military industrial complex. That in, is that indeed. is like Lockheed Martin and Boeing. They are selling the military everything from planes to missiles. What's, and
2: you know, what, I, I actually now that I think about, it, I think it was Norfolk Southern. Oh, okay, so transportation. Another, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, which made more sense for the bus than missiles. In retrospect. <laughs> um, but I mean, look, it was a two and a half, three million dollar piece of equipment. It cost us fifteen hundred dollars just to gas up. So Jesus you needed real re- you, you needed real money coming in to do the kind of things that cable companies like CNN does. How yeah. much does a, a an epi- like news is some of the cheapest content to produce on an hour by hour basis when you look at the rest of cable. Yeah. Mm, still expensive. Yeah. To, to, to make, you know, twenty, oh, totally. thirty, forty thousand $40,000 an hour of programming.
0: So you leave CNN because you get burnout or? So
2: I was traveling about 70% of the time when I started, you know, single, don't have kids, yeah. you know, seven years progresses, I'm married, got some kids. It's also, they sold the bus. Uh, uh, Zucker, so you
0: were you were here for the bus,
2: yeah? Zucker came in. It's hard to go from a job that was as cool as the bus to yeah. what essentially they they turned me into. I had moved to Austin from D.C. at this time, uh, and I became a senior producer in the Southeast Bureau, which basically CNN doesn't have many people between Atlanta and Denver. Okay, so it, you know, in Texas they got a reporter up in Dallas, and they had me in Austin. Uh, so suddenly I became a fireman. And it's like oh. There was just a tornado. Can you please go drive into it? Someone was just shot. Can you go there and cover that? Got you. You know, things things of that nature. So I was a fireman in many ways. And after 10 years at the network, I had cable news is, you know, I'd done it all. Yeah, I, I have covered a tornado, which means I've covered every tornado. I, yes, um, I have covered, unfortunately, mass shootings. Yeah, I don't want to do more mass shootings. Yeah, uh, natural disasters, human interest stories, and everything in between. To a certain extent, I just felt like, okay, I've done some really cool stuff, but I'm just doing that really cool stuff over and over again. I'm not learning anything new. I need to learn something new. Yeah, and I lived in Austin, Texas, when uh, power was really in New York. And if I wanted to progress career wise, what's gonna had happen? To go, yeah. yeah, yeah. You would
0: you would have had to be located where where, where the where decisions the people are. were being made. And
2: you yeah. also like, you know, make the decision that everybody makes, which is who do I want to be when I grow up? And you yeah. look at the people that are higher up the food chain and you, you know, do a gut check and say, Do I wanna be this dude? No. No, I'm good.
0: Because you realize that the, the the job is going to make you more into that person yes. than you believe like you would be able
2: to resist, yeah. and right? and and to be clear, I love CNN. Yeah. Like of of like, I know people at every major net in news around the country. CNN has by far the lowest asshole quotient of any <laughs> cable at you know news outlet that's out there. The people are great; they truly believe in what they're doing. The company takes care of you. Uh, the mission is clear. The resources are great. Uh, but for me, it was time to try something else.
0: And that something else was the daily dot.
2: That something else was the daily dot.
0: So what 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 job did you take there?
2: So I initially took the job of executive producer and director of video with okay. the, the goal and intent of building the video business for an online publisher. Now this was at the heart of we all remember six seven years ago Facebook is running strong. Pivot to video. Pivot to video. Pivot to video. All of these new publications launch, you know, from the BuzzFeeds to the Voxes, yeah. Mike.com, Vocative, yeah, The Daily Dial was one of them, and Facebook-fueled explosive growth in all of these publications. Now, let's, let's
0: unpack that for people who don't understand exactly what that means. When you say Facebook-fueled explosive growth, not only are they pushing these videos in their algorithm, but they're also paying these outlets to spin up these Well, webinars, it got it right? got there
2: eventually, but not just on the video side. On the pure publishing side, Facebook became a source of traffic. Yes. So suddenly uh, a website that had just started with the help of the Facebook algorithm could see major traffic. That traffic, how these brands are monetized are the ads that run on their website. Gotcha. Before the time of Facebook, how you get ads on your website is kind of before the rise of programmatic or direct sold inventory. What I mean by that is uh, I am a publisher and I go to brand X and say, Hey, brand X, You should put your ads on my website. You want my audience. Uh, You should pay me $20 for every thousand impressions your uh, ad gets. Yeah. Brand says, great. We think your audience is great. We have no other way of getting them. With the rise of Facebook and the rise of Google and programmatic advertising, suddenly uh, you didn't need to go directly to the publisher. You could buy from a generalized spot that would just follow people around. Um, I'm brand X, and now I only want to pay $5.00. For a thousand viewers, and I want this type of person. I don't care what brand it appears on, yeah. what publishing platform. And so that cut the revenue that was coming in. And so what all of these uh, publishers started doing is chasing scale, chasing yeah. traffic, and Facebook was delivering that traffic
0: for a while. And that and Facebook was all too happy to be that 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 that, that new oasis. Don't worry, everything's gonna be great here. This is your savior, like. As this other stuff starts to decline, social's on the rise. Who would look at the world during this time and say that social media isn't the the ascendant way that people will get their
2: news? Right. What people forget is that content is actually not king. Distribution is king. It doesn't matter if you produce the best content in the world if no one can see it. If it can't get to there, you know, the newspapers had it with subscriptions and delivery. They brought it to your house. Cable had it. You needed cable to get the content. They would run the wire to your house. Uh, Facebook and Google took over as the distribution channels for content. And all publishers kind of had to play with it. Because direct traffic is really only a small portion these days of how content gets to people.
0: Now you are at Daily Dot as you're building up this this thing. Like at at, at what point are do your does your spidey, does your spidey sense go off and you're like, man, we're really building this on a fickle ass algorithm, ain't we?
2: I mean, pretty quickly, but that that's kind of coupled with the you know week two of starting the job there. When I say to myself, well, shit, I know how to make video. Yeah, I know how to produce content. There's no kind of content I can't produce. You know what CNN didn't teach me how to do? How to monetize that. (laughs) Oh, yeah. There was that whole hard wall between ad sales and revenue and the editorial side. Yeah. And now I'm tasked not only to produce the content, but also figure out the best way to monetize that because you got to pay for journalism somehow. And so that began the quest of trying to iterate and figure out, okay, I can make a thing. Yeah. How do I turn that thing into actual revenue? And the first thing I actually stumbled across for that, funnily enough, was uh, you know where you try to start with something like that yeah. is you go to the old model, which is brand X. I'm making this great content. See, I can put it on Facebook or my own channels and drive lots of traffic. Yep. You should pay me to advertise your product in front of it. Yes. And I did that successfully. With and
0: that—that—that that, that, that is a simple, that's a direct deal. That's as old as Texaco Star Theater yep. presents, blah, blah, blah.
2: And those are fundamentally brand plays, whereas the internet is, if we're being honest, about direct response. The goal of marketing, people have finally come to realize, is to make more money out of it than you put into it. Mm. And... Now with attribution that can happen on the internet, you know, TV is nonsense. Nielsen ratings are nonsense. Yeah. Like you tell people, oh, your commercial led to X amount of brand lift. What is that? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Um, and everybody knows it's a game. And and the old saying is, I know 50% of my marketing budget is wasted. I'm just not sure which 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we did a couple of those deals and I, you know, learned about that. And some big players, Coca-Cola, we did an Ecto Cooler thing. It was great. But.
0: I think that, that, and that's something that I, I think has been fascinating to watch is because these brands are looking just as much as the media outlets are for places to put their stuff and what's effective. But one of the cycles that we've now seen a bunch of times is like, be it Facebook video or Snapchat or, or, or anything. It's like these new platforms come up and a bunch of money comes in and you see all these stories of like, oh, uh, uh, you know, uh, Procter & Gamble or or whatever General Mills is putting in some insane amount of money into this new thing. And you realize like, no, that's their tester budget. Yes. That's their like, let's throw, these budgets are so massive that those numbers look good in, you know, your 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 Facebook feed or they, they look good in social media in a, in a news story. But for them, it's like, Eh that's that's the let's let's put our foot on the stone and see if we slip on it.
2: Yeah, it, it's really there's two kinds of advertisers out there. It's the, you know, you see an ad for Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is so big at this point that do you think the random ad you saw on Facebook or at the, you know, World Series or Super Bowl moves yeah. the needle for them? And if so, how are they actually measuring that? You know, versus, you know, I am a brand that, you know, is just trying to make more money than I spend uh, to stay alive. And Facebook has been very good for that. Uh, Eventually what I realized at the dot, you know, because creating content is expensive. Yeah. And one day, you know, we we saw the proliferation of the now this new style of pivot to video content, short form, snackable, uh, you know, square content with text on the bottom of it. Yes. And one day I had, you know, I went on Amazon and I had signed us up for an Amazon affiliate account, which means, you know, every time I sell something through one of my links on Amazon, I make 10% on that said, okay, oh, there's a commercial for this product on here. I'm going to take that commercial. I am going to flat out steal it. I am going to turn it into a social video for Facebook and I'm going to put our affiliate link pushing it to the, uh, Amazon page. And suddenly we were selling products out. Uh, In Amazon stores. Yeah. Uh, There was a couple of times that I got a call from the brand saying, so we sold out our product on Amazon on Thursday and that was your fault. Can we pay you to do that again? Yeah. And what happened was we built a nice virtuous cycle where suddenly we were creating e-commerce videos. And that was our proof point for the brand. Hey, you should give me money. I've already made you a bunch. Yes. Let me make you more. And that worked with companies from Sling to Hulu to... Uh, uh, Samsung and, and others out there and led to some larger scale brand deals, at which point I switched from being the head of video to being the head of creative strategy, which I would just constantly come up with, okay, what is a new revenue stream? What What can I create? How are different ways that I can find for an online publisher to make money?
0: But at this point, we're pretty far away from... Josh, the the political producer who's driving Biden to the airport, right, is trying yeah. to think of, here's a fun way that we can get to know a candidate. There's some educational value. It, 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 it's a little fluffy and it, it's the right amount of everything. Now you are just there to exploit the social media but, uh, world. And, 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 and it,
2: when the social media and, and publishing and everything in general, yeah. it was really, it was, is the pivot to business. Uh, there we go. Is what I like to call it. Because look, I like... My strongest skill, I'm one of, I'm a great video editor. Yeah. Like I love video. I did that for years. And, and, and by the
0: way, folks, if, if you're, if you're not aware, uh, uh, many of you have seen the video of me in, in the Charmander suit. Josh was not only the cameraman who was there when we believed uh, that we were going to get kicked out of the floor in like the How did
2: first we not get kicked second. out of the floor?
0: I I don't know. I'm sure I had to have told you this, but at some point somebody else uh, uh, either showed me a tweet or told me about somebody else that was covering it that day. And they went and asked a security guard that are like, hey, why is the Charmander allowed (laughs) on the floor? And the thing the security guard told him was, Charmander's got a pass. If the Charmander has a pass, he's allowed to be here. (laughs) But, But you turn that around in like... The video that you can see now of me on the floor of the RNC, you turned that around in like hours. Like we were yeah. there in, in the yeah. middle of the afternoon and by that night when I was on, we, we, we debuted it. It was
2: quick. Yeah, that's, that's what CNN taught me, how, yeah. to, how to quickly weave a narrative together. Uh, but as a journalist, what I was also taught was how can I quickly synthesize all of these different pieces of data that are coming into me and figure out how to make it understandable. Got you. And so that I did that for politics, I did that for you know financial stories and and everything in between. So I simply applied the rules of journalism to online uh, publishing you know, revenue streams and, you know, did the deep dives and learning. How does Facebook actually work? How does Google uh, and SEO and SEM uh, search engine marketing and and search engine optimization actually work? What is the direct correlation uh, between how many clicks I can drive from this article and how much revenue my company can uh, project will come in and then figuring out and talking to brands like the salespeople at the Daily Dot were me and my work husband Brian, who would just we weren't salespeople, yeah, but we would just you know we would get meetings i I went to the NFL I was pitching the NFL in the NFL's office really on a on a, a thing I don't care about football I know nothing about football sure yeah, uh, but uh, Brian likes it, but I mean the Super Bowl rings in New York and just incredible everything and we just had conversations and we found out what the brands were looking for and what they liked. And we had to understand how, you know, the technology of advertising and online publishing worked to squeeze as much money out of these brands as possible to give them a result that they wanted. Sometimes we were successful and sometimes we failed, but we just kept plugging at it and and we had more successes than failures.
0: I think the the biggest difference from what you're telling me is that a CNN has X amount of money that didn't have a problem until you know the 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 Titanic hit the kind of like unbundling and streaming iceberg, and and blogs never really had that. They had like the 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 beginning of uh, a lot of money kind of coming in for display advertising, but as display advertising got eaten up by that by the, the trackable ads and and the Google stuff, it's like it was all catch as catch can. And you're you're in a situation now where you're like well, crap, I got to keep the lights on. So now we're selling whatever light up rubber ducky I can make a funny video
2: out of. 100%. I mean, think about it. Think about when the blog when blogs first started. Think about some of the oldest blogs that are still in existence. Uh, Talking Points Memo there we go. Is, a, is a great example. Yeah. Been around, I was reading them during the Bush era. Yes. I, I love that blog. And how it used to be is I would just go and check it out every day or Captain's Quarters or Andrew Sullivan, and you would, you would set up your RSS feed or you would go to the sites directly. Yeah, Most of those are gone. Um, how they monetized were through, you know, ads that had simple programmatic stacks that paid out reasonably well and they had some general direct traffic and they did well. But now Talking Points Memo makes most of their revenue off of direct subscription. Yeah. And they push that as hard as possible. They're 20 years old. The argument is that, you know, shouldn't they have figured it out by now if they've been around this long? All of the publishers that popped up over the course of the last, let's call it 10 years, none of them are profitable. Buzzfeed's never made a dime. Yeah, uh, you know, Vox Media has never been particularly profitable, and would have sold itself to NBC long ago if they could figure out how. Uh, a lot of them mic the mics of the world that everyone's like, "Oh, they're so huge. They're done. They're gone." Yeah. So anybody who's actually still standing right now, uh, either went with a venture capital backed model where people dumped a lot of money in, and they're going to continue to dump money in because they don't want to be proven that mm, they wasted that money or and and
0: at least you can be a rich person's plaything and they can use it as a vanity the atlantic
2: thing. Yes. uh you know or the la times yeah. at this point it, it's the, the the problem was a lot of those publishers launched with silicon valley vc money and vc is not good for media and publishing in general because media and publishing doesn't scale the yeah. same way that a saas tech platform would sure um Because content doesn't scale that way. There's
0: only going to be, there is a ceiling for the New York Times. There's a ceiling for USA Today. There's a ceiling for CNN. There's a ceiling for all these like these giant titans.
2: Well, and when you're talking about national reach, like there's always the rule of three. How many national outlets do you actually need in any given vertical? And there's the argument that New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Washington Post fulfill that for national publications. CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. Yeah. Do you need another 24-hour cable news? Thing in there. There's a bunch of others starting. Will they ever be really profitable or popular out there? Don't know.
0: I mean, I guess the question is now if things are so niche, if things are are so strated, like what if if maybe now the the definition of success is is something that, that we we are gonna redefine.
2: I think so. And I think uh, scale is different. The internet does allow you to make your niche large yeah. enough patreon and direct uh subscription make it so you can make a good living
0: and Uh, it's it's it was really really funny when i was out before everything shut down during this pandemic when i was out on the road and i was like you know seeing all the national reporters and everything and you're making friends and and you know just uh, shooting the shit and stuff like that uh that there was this very weird interplay that like and i'm sure you probably got it with when you left cnn that when you go from like an established outlet to something that's kind of like in 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 the media wastelands. It's like out of New York. It's out of the like power orbit. There's like oh like good. That's so good cute. for you. Good for you. But what was different this time was like it's like oh so what are you doing? I'm like oh it's my own podcast. And it's like oh cool. Like it's on Patreon. It's like yeah. It's like and, and you do good on that. So it was like this time there was like this little like. Oh, okay. There was there was same the same cute condescension, but then there was like but like you, not, can, you can you could you can pay your rent, right? Right because like, like they were like looking at me like now I wasn't just this guy in a rubber dinghy next to the, the yacht. It was like man just make sure that those rubber dinghies look good because like uh, the yacht may not be here. The yachts are the yachts spring leaks. Like yeah. it, it's 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 a very fascinating time right now.
2: No, it's it's there is no job security in media right now none um it's just and it's not going to get better anytime soon when did you leave the dot i left the dot officially in february of this year so
0: before you eiger you you did you did the the, the bob Iger where you got out right before the pandemic
2: No 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 i got out february of this year of
0: Oh, this year? This year. So you were there throughout the entire Whole pandemic.
2: pandemic. Oh! Whole pandemic. And to a certain extent, we were doing fine. Gangbusters,
0: yeah. Well, but
2: people were reading more, and some of the major revenue streams that I had built up were in two categories, uh-huh. which I'm loath to share, but I'm going to. Uh, streaming content. Nice. And porn. Wow. So the Daily Dot had written a bunch of articles uh, di- deep diving into ethical pornography and NSFW sites. Gotcha. And the way those brands cannot advertise on mainstream channels. So they offer affiliate deals. Gotcha. And those affiliate deals are upwards of 60% uh, of a subscriber forever.
0: Wow. So they really make it worth your while if you, if you dare to advertise pornography. And yep. Since you guys were already there as a as a news outlet you're like sure the link that
2: will go to your yeah thing. yeah this is it like we're not our- we're gonna yeah we're not gonna put you in because you're giving us money you're in there and we're more than happy to monetize it after the fact that's where brands like the wire cutter uh, yeah. or the strategist from New York mag uh, you know bustle and the daily dot that's how they build their e-commerce channels out uh, the NSFW and specifically the ethical NSFW space Pays out really nicely.
0: Yeah. And that was, and that was booming. So you
2: just got out then uh, a,
0: couple, a couple, a couple months, months ago. Uh, yeah. Was there a, a, a moment where everything was kind of too chaotic or did you just need a, a, a change of pace?
2: It was very similar to why I left CNN. I stopped learning new things. Gotcha. It was, you know, okay. I've, I've set up this business model. I've set up this over here. Uh, but I was bored. Yeah. It was not as like, I love the dot, love the people there, stayed there for six years, you know, did learn a bunch. Uh, But I also wanted to try something very different. I wanted to try something that took advantage of the skills that I'd forced myself to learn at the dot. The business side. Yeah. In another direction. And, And, you know, I I'm spending all of this time at a company like the daily dot trying to sell brands on, Oh, I can sell your thing. Yeah. I can pay for journalism by selling your thing. Let me let me come up with a concept for how we can best sell your thing. What if I just had to sell one thing?
0: <laughs> what if you didn't have to fund this journalism, malarkey? Yeah. What if
2: instead of selling ads, I was buying them? Yeah. I know the difference between, you know, when I'm pitched by brand X on, oh, we can do this. I know what's and what's actually- What's possible. Possible. Yeah. Uh, and so I, uh, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic here in Austin, uh, local- uh, tech guy who I've known for years, started a mask manufacturing company yeah. to produce PPE. Uh, and I, you know, helped him out with some some marketing and some other stuff as it was going on. And then it just got to the point where, you know, they needed someone to run all of their marketing efforts. And not just that, but I'm also helping them, you know, establish some lobbying and some trade organization stuff that actually leveraged some of my political knowledge from DC. I just vetted a bunch of lobbying organizations uh, for the new group we formed. Uh, And work on the messaging and work on the marketing. And now I'm, you know, picking up podcast ads on, you know, not just podcasts that I think will work, but also this guy is a friend. You know, I was at CNN. He's a friend of mine. I've known them for years. I know he's not going to lie to me. Yes. Because it's still media. It doesn't matter what part of media it is. It's all about the relationship that you have and whether or not you can trust what you're buying or what you're selling is actually worth what you're saying it is. Um, and so that's what I've been doing for the last few months.
0: Uh, uh, well, I, I think it's fascinating. And it's it's one of those things that I really did want to delve deep into because my contention to the listeners has has been for a while that, especially during the pandemic, because the pandemic made us jump forward in, in, in time in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I, I think, you know, the fact that everybody knows what Zoom is fundamentally changes, like, society. Yeah. The fact that we got five years worth of education – in a year, boom, now all of a sudden telepresence things are not just for geeks, they're for grandmas now. Like and, and grandpas. Some people get mad when I only gender that. But uh uh for media, it's the it's the wrong way. It's like we went five years into the future on the decline and decay of advertising because all that all that stuff came really really fast
2: yeah but there are so there are some interesting things on the horizon that that could also blow that up Again, okay uh 80% something like 70 or 80% of all advertising dollars right now go to two companies it's facebook yeah. and google yeah uh and blowing up those monopolies could have a very positive impact on publishing at some point apple coming down and turning off Cookies or people being able to be followed on their platform will decimate uh, a lot of Facebook's advertising and really re emphasize first party data. Yeah. And by first party, you come to my website, since you're on my website, I know who you are. Gotcha. Versus Facebook has their code on everyone's website. The pixel. So even if you're not on Facebook, Facebook knows who you are and what you're visiting. Yeah. Uh, and that could have a net positive effect. There was pent up advertising spend and demand at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, but think of the amount of budgets that have been un- unlocked by companies that didn't go to CES, didn't spend two million dollars on their South by Activation, didn't spend all of this money on trade shows.
0: Yeah, but then why are all these people getting fired? If if, if this is giving us, you know, if, if it's unlocking all this money, like like journalists are, are losing their gigs.
2: Uh, week by week by week. Uh, well, I'm talking media in general. If you're talking journalism specifically- I'm ju- talking journalism specifically, Okay, yeah. well, journalism specifically is in a bad place.
0: This right is now. what I'm saying, yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, no, it, it it is. Part of that is newspapers still don't have an effective model at all. And newspapers were the biggest employer of journalists out there. Online publications, again, still don't have a clear viable path to profitability, And the thing about the media business and journalism as a business is it's a business. Yeah. I think what you're going to find more and more in the big pivot in journalism is everything is going to move nonprofit because it has to. ProPublica is a good example. Texas Tribune is a good example. The nonprofit model is probably the only viable uh, journalism model long term because it is a- So you're
0: raising money. You're doing subscription. NPR.
2: Yeah. uh, NPR is doing fine. You build an endowment. You build uh, all sorts of stuff. But journalism was a 70% margin business when newspapers were at their height. Yeah. But it wasn't the journalism that was selling it. It was the distribution of the newspapers. It was auto circulars. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's not coming back. It it is never coming back. Uh, And cable news. Look, the funny thing about cable news is they don't break any news. No. Ever. Cable news is there to report what a newspaper journalist has already done the reporting on or show when something is literally on fire. It's great at that. But in terms of... And
0: even that, it's, it's lost its best-in-class uh, uh, title to, oh, right. to t- Twitter and social media. Right, I it's mean, too slow.
2: Like, yeah. Far too slow. Uh, and they know it's too slow because, e- because if they want to maintain any semblance of editorial credibility, they have to be slower than they're, the it, internet. They're,
0: they're, they're great. The one thing that television is still the best at and maybe as Twitch gets better it even loses this, is, like, the the constant uh, helicopter. If you just kind of want, like... Yeah, no, I, it, I want, when, I, I when OJ's
2: wanna, in the truck driving I down want, the street... I just want
0: a shot of just the helicopter. It's like, I remember, like, the last big thing I can remember was, like, when Kobe died. And mm-hmm. it was just like, all right, uh, there's just a helicopter looking at mountains. We, we don't even know where this wreck is, whether or not they're even going to show it. But I just know that there is, there is that thing. And like for that long haul trucking of, of a live shot, nothing beats a uh, 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 CNN for now, right? Yeah. Cable news for now. Well, and
2: also bear in mind when CNN is showing that stuff, it's not CNN shot. No,
0: it's, it's it, the local, it's the
2: locals. And yeah. that's the other where, place where consolidation is happening because there are really only three national, three-and-a-half national companies that own all of the local TV stations around the country. Yeah. Tegna, Sinclair, Nexstar. Gray over here a little bit, Tribune over here with a little bit, but they're desperately trying to sell into the the bigger guys right now. Uh, And their model is not as strong as it used to be either. Yeah. They are, a lot of them are hurting, especially small markets. Small market local TV stations... Are not doing great.
0: So is this just the, the, the final divorcing of ads from news? Is, is, is that, is that where we're heading? If, if, if what you're talking about with, uh, yeah. you know, non nonprofits are, are the model?
2: I think it's a, it's an adjusting of the, the mix. So, I mean, NPR is a non-profit near commercials on NPR all the time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's part of their funding strategy, just like Doing the, the like a, a
0: carriage was part of the mix, or a carriage was what was what drove CNN. But you also sold whatever cash for gold ads right. you could sell on top
2: of. Right, that. the mix will change. Yeah, and why are people still getting fired? It's because consolidations are still happening. The firing is usually not about what's happening right now. It's about what you're predicting that is going to happen in, in the, next the next six months okay. to five years. Yeah um and if you're trying to make yourself look better for a sale the easiest way that you can increase your slim profit down. margin is slim down. Uh and it sucks. Yeah. But it is what it is right now. Uh <laughs> that's what I went, I
0: went to a the, the the college newspaper that I that I worked at have an alumni event and every once in a while I go there and I wind up being like the weird like uh you know cause everybody else are all working for fancy you know the you know, big name, uh, brands and, you know, posts and times and stuff like that. And they have these like great high minded, like, well, you know, you really have to stick to truth and everything. And I come in as like the, like old like whiz- you know, gnarled, you know, pirate, uh, and I, I'm, like my advice is always like, find where the money is. 100%.
2: Wherever,
0: wherever, if you're at it, if you're a young reporter, find what makes, what turns on the lights, what makes the money that turns on the lights, and then find what you like doing that is as close to that as possible. Yeah. Like, just figure out the way that you can benefit. You'll never get fired ever if you are if, – if, you'll always be faster than the slowest person getting chased by the bear if you are close to the money being as happy as possible.
2: Yeah, I think three or four years ago I was at an ONA uh, conference, which is Online News Association, which basically is a a little association that tries to rep all of the online publications that do journalism. And there's all these great sessions about, you know, data journalism and and finding ways of doing truth. And there were no business sessions. I'm like, guys, your house is literally on fire. (laughs) (laughs) You're killing me with this stuff.
0: (sighs) It's... In, in a lot of ways, it's very sad. I mean, like we—I—I I, I joke about it, but like it's—it really, really is depressing considering how much I love, uh, of the field. How much I think that you know, it, hell, I was out there covering the stuff in 2020, the primaries in 2020, and then next thing you know, like two or three of the people that I was like. Super good friends with on on the trail, now all of a sudden no longer had jobs within like weeks of, of of everything shutting down.
2: Well, journalists are used to covering layoffs. They're not used to really being as deep in them as possible. But let's be frank, the the reductions in the layoffs have been happening for the past ten years. Yeah. At this point. There's nothing new. You know, if you're a newspaper person, you're you're well and truly used to this.
0: I mean, I could I could do a whole other hour on just what I think was the tremendous arrogance of newspapers in the late 90s and how they could have. I mean, at the point when they first noticed that they were getting their lunch eaten by Craigslist, like the, the fact that they didn't, that Tribune or, or one of these companies, these massive companies that were just living high on the hog didn't go all in on – a a, a digital classified thing on, on digital. I mean, like they know that how much money they made on these auto circulars by one of these auto sites, like like, diversify into this place. They knew everything and they were just so arrogant about it. Yeah.
2: And what happened in the newspaper industry is likely coming for both local TV and cable TV, which is you had the best year ever right up until you don't. Yeah. Um, I'm more concerned about local than I am about national. Yeah. In all honesty, uh, one, because local is more important yeah. uh, in many ways, because, you know, th- th- there's there's still plenty of national coverage about issues yeah. uh, that are out there. But it's the local news deserts that are a big problem. And with the newspapers gone, the TV stations are often all you have left. And, you know, and that's,
0: that's a that's a that's a that's super a depressing, horrifying, I mean, a horrifying thought. You
2: don't want to rely on the, you know, 24 year old making things. $30,000 a year to, to give you your news, but it's literally better than absolutely nothing. Uh, I think what the Trib has done here in Austin yeah. with, with building a viable and sustainable local model and then partnering with ProPublica, and they've been hiring reporters and they put yeah. reporters all over the state. Uh, and, and that's a model that's being replicated in states across the country. And I think there's a there's a lot of potential for that. I don't think, you know, and there's been lots of experiments, the patches of the world and, and yep. whatnot. Most of them are not good, uh, but there's always going to be a lot of not good. That's the, you pro- the problem. The problem works. is that
0: everybody wants to make it scalable and everybody wants to make it programmatic when it comes to local. And it's like, you just, unfortunately there's no way to make local good unless you put in
2: the time and effort. And Yeah, time and effort, absolutely. Yeah. But even then you are not going to get rich in news news is not there to you shouldn't get rich as a politician and you shouldn't get rich in news it is a public service it is a public good it's a journeyman's profession yeah um as far as i'm concerned you shouldn't have to go out to college or grad school and take on a bunch of debt to get a journalism degree yeah um i hate i don't have one i i've never liked them in general
0: i i would have i if it weren't for the fact that i actually got my education doing stuff at the 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 paper that i worked at at syracuse i would have left this like,
2: isn't like, it is no, its yeah. an apprenticeship journeyman profession it yes. always has been and yeah. that got screwed up i think in the 90s at the same time that when newspapers became you could you know make an incredible living doing it the only people getting rich doing tv are you know main anchors in large markets or on cable
0: exactly well uh uh On the note that you can't get rich in in journalism, I'm going to allow you to leave my stately manse that I've purchased with Patreon money. It is lovely. Uh, (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, but honestly, it's like I do think that if you don't think of yourself as a business, if you don't think of uh, uh, where you immediately provide value for people, I do think that there is money in news. There is just not money in news in the way that I think became sort of religious for some people. The idea that, like, there's the editor and there's an organization, there's a publisher. There's like almost these like, like very rigid ideas of like what a good newsroom should be. And and that's like what, what, what it, what it should always be. And it, it, there's this platonic idea. And it's like, even back in the nineties, I'm like, a lot of these newsrooms can be smaller. A lot of these things can move faster. They can pivot quicker. They like, can
2: centralize certain production. Sit- what, uh, here in Austin, the Statesman was bought by Gatehouse. Gatehouse owns hundreds of newspapers and merged with Gannett recently. Yeah. And they moved like every newspaper they own, all of the layouts are done here in Austin. Yeah. Because why does every single newspaper around the country need to have the same layout department, accounting department? Like There, there are efficiencies of scale that, that still come for that. But what I would say is the other problem with what has happened in journalism in general is that the people running the business of journalism have too often been journalists. Yes. Or in television's case, the people that proceed up the ladder were producers. Yeah. You are, it's the, the, what is it? The, the Peter principle. Like you, you just keep getting, uh, a promotion until you're no longer competent at what you do Yeah, because you were really good at the thing before. There is an entrepreneurialism that needs to come into journalism, but an entrepreneurialism that should not be centered on scaling up revenue, but needs to be scaling up civil society. Yeah. Um, it's a social uh, good. And if it's going to be a social good, it needs to be approached from that perspective.
0: Well said. Josh Rubin, uh, where can people find you? Uh,
2: Twitter at jrubin Rubin, uh, which constantly pisses off Jennifer Rubin at the Washington Post. <laughs> uh, or Josh at mediaATX.org, which is uh, how I cover the, the, the one part of journalism I still do. I cover the Austin media scene. uh, There you go. Because I want, you know, New York. I like, I want Austin (laughs) to be the center of of media. To
0: be the the center of media. Yeah. Uh, Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for talking.
2: Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here.
0: And that'll wrap it up for us today. A reminder, you want to find Josh Rubin. You want to thank Josh Rubin you head on over to px3guest.com. That'll bring you where you need to go. We have our email for the show, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can tweet us at px3tweets. Our Twitch is back next week. We are back on Twitch at px3live next week. Even if it has to be on the phone, I am building out this studio as fast as possible. Our newsletter is at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. You can share this podcast at px3podcast.com. You can support us with a one-time donation at our PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury, our cash app, px3cash, and our Venmo. Go ahead and send me a dollar. Go ahead and send me a dollar. If hey, Venmo cash isn't real. <laughs> Every time, every episode, there's at least one or two people that send me a dollar. Will you be that person? Justin-Young-20. But of course, if you want to get your name read at the end of the show for real, for sure, then you need to go to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That is where at the $3 level, you get bonus content. And at the $10 level, the Titanic $10 tier, that is. You get your name read, including Headphones, Neil, Dr. G, The Other Half of Whiskey, Wednesday, Idris, The Government Unfiltered Podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy Max, Zombie Doc, D, Really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, The Gen, Middle-Aged Mike, Cujo.com, Junkie, Calamity, Zabdi, Laser, Lorscale, De Quince, and the III, and Gloria Young for King of the New World Order, Utah, Jimmy, Montana, appraisers are awesome, Snuffies, off Route 44, Miranda, Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, Richard, just another pilot, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and Andrew. One more time, if you would like to... Get your name read at the end of the show. Titanic, $10 tier. That is where you do it. Our show is written and produced by me in Austin, Texas, and edited by Brett Stewart. One story on the way out the door. If you thought Georgia's voting law drew a lot of controversy, well, everything's bigger in Texas. That will be a topic of conversation for sure over the next week. Put that one on your radar. Until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying, Some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. And still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares talk about Oh... Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.